0: and welcome back to the cover three podcast here on cbs sports that's tom finnelli that's bud elliott that's danny canal i'm chip patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24 7 sports facebook network come and high five that subscribe and maybe pound that like oh just smash them both and come and join us in the chat uh today we finally even though there's like even as of this morning some like extra staffers that are still going I feel like the pieces are in place uh, on the assistant coaching carousel, so we're going to take this time to do a big review. uh, Some of the most impactful assistant coaching hires that we want to turn your attention to, the teams and staffs that got better, the ones that took some losses, uh, the recruiting impact, and so much more. If you got any questions that you would like to add to the conversation, already seen a couple of them, go ahead and throw those in the chat. Uh, We will star them. And when we get into the assistant Coaching Carousel recap. Uh, we will enter those into the conversation. But I wanted to begin with some rabble rousing, some saber rattling, some 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 interesting. Um, I don't know if you want to call it uh, pointed politicking or if it's just that time of year. But in the last three days, and specifically on Friday, we had both the athletic director at Florida State and the athletic director at Clemson pointing and screaming. About the revenue disparity between the ACC and the paychecks that they're going to get and the projected paychecks and the paychecks that will be coming to the SEC schools, the Big Ten schools, heck, even the Big 12 schools because of the way the current deal is set up. Uh, This is the athletic director for Clemson, Graham Neff, says, uh, in all candor, I put it as a need. What is he saying is a need? unequal revenue uh, distribution within the ACC. We certainly recognize the investment that we've continued to make as an institution in our community in athletics, namely football, which certainly drives a lot of value that is important from a television and revenue generation standpoint. Is it time revenue distribution within conferences, or at least the ACC is done differently? Yeah, I've been very active in those conversations within the league and continue to expect to take a leadership role in our desire to have that circumstance changed urgently. At the almost same time, and this is why it's a little, very coordinated, Florida State's athletic director is talking to the board of trustees and he's laying out with slides and PowerPoints and documents about how far behind the ACC is financially. Board of trustees members are asking if it's you know even possible for Florida State to keep up as long as this continues. So I'm going to put You gentlemen, if you're okay with it, in the position of the ACC league office, you can fancy yourself uh, a Jim Phillips. Uh, You could maybe be one of his top deputies. How concerned or surprised are you from the Florida State and Clemson athletic directors both coming out in recent days discussing how the ACC has fallen
3: behind?
2: I'll leave it to the ACC boys.
3: <laughs> the ACC boys. I mean, what about the Florida State boys? Take it even further. <laughs> if, you're,
4: if you're Jim Phillips, right, uh, you can't be surprised at this. I, I think, I think there's,
0: there's no surprise. I think you zero might be surprise. annoyed that they would decide to go ahead and stir the pot like this. I got to think that, as Clemson's athletic director said, they are working through these models right now.
4: Yeah, and I, I think there are a couple schools in this together. Florida State, Miami, obvi- or excuse me, Florida State and Clemson. I think Miami is in on this too. Uh, Chip, I suspect North Carolina is as well, but they have some politics within that state, right? That uh, you know, you have some programs that aren't really. It's not appropriate to say they're not trying, but they're certainly not trying to compete at the highest levels of the sport. And then that—that's really the ACC's problem right now. You have too many teams. Like, look what happened to Syracuse in the transfer portal. They're just not competing for the same. Type of prizes, and you have too many sort of teams that just are happy to collect the check and be the Pittsburgh Pirates and not spend right, and and just just take that that revenue. Ultimately, I think that nothing is going to happen within the next year or two because the, the 120 million dollar buyout that, that you know four states board of, of uh, trustees cited, that's just the buyout. You don't get your your TV rights with that. I mean, that's it's probably more like four x that when you figure it all in. So you would need. You know, some external investors type thing and the the legal finance (laughs) in the fight would be pretty interesting. But I I think that the play here, if I'm Phillips, it's, all right. do you want to appease these schools? They are your cash cows. Ratings wise, they are three or four X on average over the last decade. What the like bottom two thirds of the league make as far as your TV product. If they leave, the league is basically toast. But those schools, you, you go to them with this, you might tell them, hey, unequal revenue sharing as a ploy to keep Florida State and Clemson and Miami in this league longer term? Because if you don't do something, guarantee you they will not stick around long term and they will will be gone well before this 2036 and probably before anything that starts with the three in the 2030s. You know, or do you guys want to keep taking your big checks right now and we'll figure it all all out later? Because it might be gone anyway.
3: This, um, you know it's interesting. Uh, Michael Alford, Bud, and I saw him in Orlando last Monday, um, and he texted me before the board of trustees meeting. He was like, "Hey, he's like you might want to pay attention today." I was like, "Oh, okay." What's in It was like he was basically telling me like he's about to put the college football world on blast, and I love it because you know he listens a lot, either the radio show or this show, and they have a problem like Florida State, Clemson, my any any any. Sp- school that wants to be competitive against the big 10 and the sec has a problem that's in the ACC as bud just laid out. And to be fair to Jim Phillips, the deal was in place before he took over, right? This TV deal till 2036. And it really does feel like the schools that want out are trapped. And this is the first time, because we've seen writers put out numbers and try to suggest, you know, various you know options for the ACC schools that want out But this is the first time we've seen schools, as you mentioned, Chip, like put some numbers to it. And I saw some of them shot down and they're good points because it's just the one exit fee, but it doesn't get your grant of rights. Correct, bud? Like, So like you could get out, but like good luck trying to air your product. I think you're muted, bud. Uh,
4: Apologies, like non-opinion here. The 120 is just the exit fee. It does not yes. get you your rights. Your rights are probably 3x that.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. As, as a lot of people pointed mm-hmm. out. But mm-hmm. I do like the fact that at least it's on the table now and that you're trying to put the ball in Jim Phillips court of exactly what Bob was talking about. Like, are we going to shake up the revenue share? Are you going to give us our fair share? Inevitable. Let me ask you guys uh, something. Do you think the ACC is intact in three to four years? Yes. Yes. What well, about five to seven years? Yes, on the field, but I don't know, like, if the
4: plans for future uh, leaving won't be public by then. The ACC is doomed.
3: It's dead. correct, but it's you think so? that you think it's going to take down Florida State, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina with it?
2: No, I mean the conference is dead. Like when you get to this point, this is. My prediction, like we talk about the Pac 12 being in jeopardy. We're not talking about the ACC right now because it's not being jeopardy because of the grant of rights. So that nobody's plucking teams from it at the moment. But I think that given the situation, two things happen either Florida State, Clemson, and Miami don't get what they want and they jump ship as soon as it becomes financially feasible and another conference is extending the interview or the invitation, or they do get what they want. And it just sows more discord within the conference in that they're getting more money than everybody else. So I I think at this point, just based on the way things have gone, it might take another 10 years. It might take 15 years. But I think the ACC, by and large, some of the programs will be absorbed by the SEC and the Big Ten, and the rest will either just kind of go the way of the Big East or, you know, maybe they'll get picked up by the Big 12 or if the Pac-12 zombie Pac-12 is still alive at that point. I don't know. But I my prediction is that 15 years from now, the ACC doesn't exist.
3: Well, if it takes that long, though, how much damage does that do potentially to Florida State, Clemson, Miami, the schools that are going to try to stay competitive? And especially if we start You know, if we see changes with the model of how players are paid and it's not NIL and all of a sudden it's they're paid from the T V deals, that Florida State, those schools are screwed. Mm -hmm. Because then it'll be flat out, hey, if you go to the SEC, they have a you know a number, they can pay you, and there's no way that those schools can survive, which is why I think you're seeing athletic directors bring this up now because they want to force the issue sooner rather than later. So that's why I don't that's why like I'm I'm more Let's see how this thing shakes out. And I would probably put the over-under on like five years that something massively has to change. And the ACC either, you know, and, and and sooner than that on the revenue share, like that might be just a temporary solution to keep, you know, absolute, you know, the apop- apocalypse situation for the ACC. Like it does feel like the conference is serious trouble because of this TV deal, which is so restrictive. Let me ask you, like, like TV networks aren't in the business of, and just doing what's good for the greater good of the sport, Correct. but like, shouldn't the ESPN, who owns the ACC network and has a vested interest in the ACC long term, would, would is there any interest in them to come to the table and say, Hey, we want to make sure <laughs> none, well, <laughs> that's, no, that's no, no, maybe. Being too altruistic?
0: It's, but, it's, no. it's only about the Big Ten, they would yeah. they they yeah. start to get concerned the moment that. The Big Ten, which has no ties to ESPN in the right. future deal. When the Big Miami? Ten, right. When whatever. the Big Ten starts to sniff around a North Carolina, Virginia, Miami, that's, I think, when ESPN is interested because the fact that SEC has all of its rights, like if the SEC ends up picking up a couple ACC schools, especially really valuable ones, okay. Like we're, we're, we're going to end well, up only strengthening our brand.
4: So the argument typically goes that why would espn do this they have for state and clemson and you know miami at at pretty cheap rates mm. right but i think the counter to that is they have boston college at an exorbitantly overpriced rate and wake and duke even with the hoops i don't care like if you saw the stuff from 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 i think it was from espn they said the league values football at a 5 to 1 ratio to basketball right like that should tell you how much like even duke hoops not nearly as important as like a decent football program here you know Q so like pitt all these programs like that ESPN you could argue is overpaying for pretty substantially right so if they did leave and go to the SEC I think this is the one counter to the idea that it's only the big 10 they could they would pay a little more for Clemson and Florida State and Miami and maybe Carolina right if they left but you could also just just slash what you're paying these teams that nobody really watches. I mean like that's that's how you could make up the money there and then you wouldn't have to operate the ACC network which but legally is, I mean obviously by their TV commercials you can tell it, it's terrible I mean it's like tactical sunglasses tactical razors tactical shaving cream like all, I mean that's tactical. all pretty You've seen how or. clear the tactical sunglasses make oh, things dude, though? Yeah.
2: I mean wow.
0: I mean um, the turtle the technology has been around for hundreds of years. <laughs> Come on.
4: So you guys see it too. Okay. Yeah, of
0: course. Well, I <laughs> I don't think that they'd be killing off. I don't think that they are looking forward to killing off the ACC network. And I'm not sure, like, Danny, to your early question, I've got 2030 circled as sort of the the target because that's when the Big Ten deal is up. And then the SEC is up in 2034. So maybe it's like 2027, 2028 when we start to get into those negotiating windows or when we start to really look at it. That's what the ACC league office has. is It's got about four or five years to make drastic changes to its revenue stream for the schools that want to be a big part of it, and if they end up losing schools around 2030, I don't know if the ACC would collapse. I could see the ACC just picking up more, just, just grabbing teams and trying to move. I mean, we thought the Big 12 was dead, and its scramble move was to grab West Virginia and TCU, and we were like, all right, good luck with that. But you know, all the way here now, the Big Twelve has continued to make moves and continue to exist and sign new media rights deals. It's not yeah, trying. But the to, Big
2: uh, The Big Twelve also lost Texas and Oklahoma
0: and yeah. listen, and Missouri, uh, and Texas yeah, AM saying, and and Nebraska,
2: like, and Colorado. Like the Big Twelve is doing the best of the other three right now, but I'm not going to sit here and paint that the Big Twelve is thriving by no, any but spread.
0: I'm saying you're not going to like completely go away. I just think that the ACC no. lose its powers pick up some teams and then continue to exist as the ACC. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to see it go the way the Southwest conference.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, cause where, where else would they go? I, I do think that the makeup of the fan bases in, in, in the schools in the big 12, for the most part are far different than the makeup of the fan bases and the alumni bases than the schools that would remain within the ACC. It's a lot of like small oh, like private
0: small alumni size and things. Yeah, like that.
4: Correct. Right. Like, you know, People that actually show up to the game, stadium wise, like, I don't see just the totally empty stadiums in the Big Twelve, like like I do in, in, in most of the ACC things. Like at least they somewhat travel, even though it's it's you know tough to travel long distances in the Big Twelve. The fans somewhat show up to road games. You just don't have that in a lot of the ACC right now. I I think the real question that we can throw out years here. To me, it's really a dollar figure. It's if you had to make the jump without your TV rights, okay. That means you would only be getting, like, the only rights that the ESPN would acquire for the SEC if you jumped, right? And this is weird because they technically own both. But the ACC, because they're granted rights, would retain your home games. The only thing you bring to the table if you left early and you were not able to just pay it out would be your road games. What is the number that you are, are comfortable financing, either internally via boosters who you know have a lot of money that, that are cool loaning you it, or externally? Like, and for how long? If FSU or Clemson had to finance two hundred million for a share of whatever, maybe that's workable. If the number right now exit fee plus the actual granted rights thing is closer to half a billion, not as workable. Also, you don't necessarily have a landing spot right this moment, so it's just another problem. But Wait, I think are it's, you suggesting
0: I, that they could sell the athletic department yes. to be able to finance? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. I did have. not mean to laugh. That is a that is a that is a stunned reaction because. What you are painting, if I'm following you correctly, is that they could go uh, to private sources, private equity, private money and say, do you want to be an owner or have an ownership stake in an athletic department? And I, that I
4: don't I mean, really think these programs are going to be attached to schools for the, like like for the long term. I think it's going to more gonna be like, can we license the name Clemson? Right, we've t- As part of our football program, I think, you know, it's more like that, I think. And then you operate more as like a European soccer club.
0: But
2: if, like we were talking earlier, if ESPN works, it's where like Clemson, FSU, whatever, can join the SCC, Can the rest of the ACC schools who entered that television agreement with ESPN, because legally, doesn't it go both ways? Can't they then sue ESPN for that money anyway that ESPN
4: promised to pay them? They could potentially, but if if the contract has a provision that says we get to give you a haircut if certain value you know, brands leave, like what happened. But with the if Big
2: ESPN is part of those programs leaving, I mean, does that not right. leave them open to a pretty hefty lawsuit? Yes, it, it does. Yes. So, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Well,
4: it's going to be expensive for everybody then. Now, I guess is let's <laughs> you know, let's let, take, <laughs> let, let's let's really kind of go galaxy brand here. If you get these schools to agree to unequal revenue sharing, you are also getting them to admit that they have different values. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And that's something for court, like the for the legal argument that you would make in court,
4: acknowledgement that they're not worth as much as the other as other schools are. What you're saying is there's absolutely no reason for any of
2: those non-Clemson, FSU, Miami schools to agree to it.
4: I would definitely not agree to it. Like if I'm Boston College, I'm thinking that Clemson and Florida State are going to jump in ten years anyway. Keep giving me my checks right now. Like why the hell would I agree to that? There's no way this league's going to stay together long term. I I want all the money I can get right now for when I'm a poverty program in mm -hmm. ten years. At, le- at least I have a war chest built up. So, the
3: Are there doomed? What's the loophole? If is it eight teams left, they get out of the grant of rights, or is there no way to get out of the grant of rights?
4: Oh, if more than ha- yeah, if more than half, it, it, it's not seven, it's gotta be eight. Then I guess it's potentially, but there's not eight teams with a landing spot. What if, what if
3: you had two to the sec, two to the big 10 and four to the big 12? Like, are there other options? Is there any like that's what i was thinking like cuz i don't think you're right i don't think there's i don't think there's 8 to the sec or acc they don't want 8 from the acc but the big 12 might be willing to play ball if that was on the table
0: cuz these other they wouldn't provide value i mean if you're going to take in these schools then they would
3: potentially schools. to the big 12 don't you think
2: all right wednesday show idea we're going to do a realignment draft where one of us will be the big 10 one of us will be sec and one of us will be the big 12 and we will draft the acc
0: let's schools let's go football. Let's do it. Uh, oh my god. Anyway, it was it was interesting because, you know, when we were discussing the the news from Friday over the weekend, we thought, "Hey, this is going to be a bigger story that's just going to continue to evolve." But I thought that it would generate some interesting discussion and certain certainly this is uh this is fascinating to watch it play out. Nothing big happening soon probably? Mm-hmm but uh, not looking good, at at least in terms of the long-term future for sure. Coming up on the other side, we take a look at the assistant coaching carousel. Some of the most impactful moves, uh, some teams that got better, teams that got worse, recruiting side, all of that and more.
1: Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles,
0: Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, Chats 11, Uh draft the ACC. Boy, <laughs> all of our ACC friends would be so sad if we spend a whole 60 minutes on this podcast predicting the different ways the conference is going to collapse. Come on. Sedgefield Country Club, the smoky rooms where that league was founded. They didn't go through all this. Come on. It all, it all had changed when you uh, moved the office. All right, here we go. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Brandon Marcello. Brandon Marcello does great work for 24 seven sports. And in the preparation for this podcast, he has a full coaching carousel that yes, has recent updates, but also alphabetical breakdowns of all the FBS teams and all the ins and outs. Brandon, I know you listen to the show. You're a big fan, so thank you because you greatly assisted uh, in the show prep process today. Uh, over at 24/7 sports again, check out his uh, coaching carousel. So I wanted to begin with just the, the thing that, that drew uh, your eye, the, the most impactful move, the one that you thought uh, is going to have the biggest um, you know, the, the biggest consequences, good or negative, I guess, if you want to take it that way, but uh, you want to take us to, uh, to Kentucky.
4: I I do. I, I thought the offensive coordinator hire that Mark Stoops made last year was kind of disastrous, and they I don't want to say they wasted Will Levis' senior season because he did improve in some areas, and he obviously had the what, foot or ankle injury or, or whatever that was, which hampered him. But I I really liked what they did uh, when they had Liam Cohen there uh, last year or two years ago before he went to the L.A. Rams, and they have a major issue now with with Levis Cohen, and, and they're you know they're they're bringing in the transfer. I think getting Cohen back is potentially really important for Kentucky to not fall off because you, you have other teams in that division of the SEC East that appear to be ascending, right? South Carolina, at least offensively, appears to be doing some pretty good things. And Tennessee looks like it finally has its act together. And, you know, Florida, we can laugh about the Rashada stuff, and, and maybe they'll be bad again this year, but they did have a nice recruiting class. So in order for them to, to tread water, and to not backslide after the loss of Levis, I, I think Le- getting Liam Cohen back, a guy who Mark Stoops is comfortable with, is, is probably pretty important. And obviously, like I knew other guys were taking some other big names too, so I was trying to go, not just double up.
0: Devin Leary, a part of this right off the bat, you know, mm-hmm. you you're yeah. able to get a quarterback in there who's who's going to be able to run that system. And uh, and and if we are going to do so, a little bit of combine talk next week once we get. Uh, all the action. I know that's beginning this. Oh, you're going day. To- are you there right yeah.
3: now? I'm uh, like- no, 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 I'm not there yet. I leave Thursday meeting with the quarterbacks on Friday, running back Saturday.
0: Um, yeah. L- there's going to be a lot of Will Levis talk and all the Will Levis tape is from the Liam Cohen season. It is all <laughs> going to be from 2021. And I'm not just putting that on the offensive coordinator. As we mentioned several times, that Kentucky offensive line was in such woeful shape that we got to see uh, Will Levis's athleticism running for his life. From uh, from opposing defensive lines, so I definitely feel you with the Liam Cohen, and I think that that's going to be put in the spotlight with the uh, with the draft stuff coming up this week. Um, Danny, is there one that stood out to you?
3: Yeah, um, I got to get on top of the uh, the sheets that we use so I can fill out fill them out so we know where we're going. That's my bad. My apologies. Off season mode. Um, Bobby Petrino, this move fascinates me. I mean, it, this is something we've talked about for at least two years is what if Jimbo Fisher brought in somebody with new innovation and a more current system and Petrino Tech a and I think it's either going to be a home run or an absolute train wreck. And I can't wait to watch either one. And I think the ego <laughs> I, thing is probably the most significant aspect of this. And like, if it starts off a little slow, does Jimbo try, you know, start coming back over there and you know, start start trying to take the reins and pull back, you know, a little bit? And what does Petrino do if that happens? I think it's fascinating. Because we know they're talented. We know that roster is stacked. Quarterback they have to figure out, but Petrino's got a long track record of working well with QBs. So I can't wait for that one. Do you know who led the SEC in catches in SEC play?
0: Um uh, Devin A chain. Evan Stewart. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Late yeah. in late season.
4: That was like they started hitting him up a lot during that last like four or five game run right that that dude can play i mean i i i think he's like a no doubt nfl guy a, athletically really really a pretty special guy i think they, they could be better on the offensive line and i mean look if you take away like the final year of petrino cuz it always ends like a bomb went off of, of just just culture erosion and and terribleness find me the bobby petrino teams that failed to score points other than the, the, like, like the year that he, that he ditches the place, mm-hmm. the guy can coach offense culturally. I mean, Danny nailed it though. Like we'll see, but if they keep it together, even a little bit culture wise, uh, I have a hard time seeing them not score. Assuming that as Danny said, he lets Petrino do it.
0: What do you think Petrino thinks about the, uh, yell practice? I think Petrino
4: <laughs>
2: should have to go to it and train to be a Yale leader, just to I mean, kind of instill. Does he know what it is?
1: Do <laughs> like, like, you think Petrino
4: it. knows what this is? Yeah. <laughs> like Jimbo, Jimbo had to learn all these all, all these traditions and pretend to like them, right? But like, you know, I, I don't. Petrino, I I doubt he knows what it is.
2: Bob Bobby turned in his Harley for a horse. He's going to come <laughs> riding in in a hat and some boots.
0: He's. I I think he would be quite disturbed. I, th- I think he would say, like, this isn't for me. Because when he was at Arkansas, they might have played Texas A&M in a non-con, but he, def- he definitely is not a- as familiar as he's about to be with uh, with with yell, yell practice and everything around uh, the rituals of Texas A&M football.
4: He's like, what if we put this indoors and did it for volleyball instead of football? I'm like, what, what, what do you think? But guys, I'm telling you what, it's hot in Texas, what AC, mean, big buildings. He
2: is from Montana, so it's not like it's that drastic of a difference as far
0: as culture Maybe maybe uh, Tom what what stood out to you in terms of uh, the most impactful uh, assistant coaching carousel move? The, the biggest
2: one to me and this is another one where it's like I don't know how it's gonna go it's just it's gonna have a huge impact because it is changing the identity of the program Phil Longo offensive coordinator at Wisconsin like when Luke fickle took the job that was a very big kind of shift as far as the head coaching. Circuit is considered or concerned, but I was like, Well, is he gonna bring is he gonna keep doing what he was our ar- Wisconsin's always been doing and stay that way, or is he gonna go kind of more spreadish, air like he was doing at Cincinnati? And found out quickly, he brings in Phil Longo, who Offensively, not what you're used to seeing in Madison with the Badgers, with a lot of, you know, two tight end sets and 250 pound running backs just barreling into the line over and over and over again, wearing you down. So, that to me, I've talked about it a bit on the show. Like, it's an air raid scheme, quote unquote, by name, but they are, it's an offense that you can run the ball a lot in. And I do think Braylon Allen's going to have a good season because he's actually, as Braylon Allen has said himself, he's going to have room to run because there won't be eight or nine defenders in the box on every play. But it will be interesting to see long term and short term how effective that offense can be in the Big Ten in that part of the country where if you look at the high school football in Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, the areas where Wisconsin does the most of its damage recruiting, you don't really have like a lot of spread offense offensive linemen. You've typically got big burly road grader types. So they're going to, they might have to change their recruiting philosophy as far as where they're finding their linemen. How effective will they be at doing it? So it's just, it's one of those moves where it's not just the offense, it's everything around it and everything that goes into it. I'm really intrigued to see if they can make it work because I do think that given Luke Fickle's recruiting prowess as a coach wherever he's been and just the fact the way his teams play and how good they are from that aspect I think this is great for Wisconsin it's just there are other aspects that are just unknowns where it's going to be like will this work or will this blow up in their face because it kind of reminds me of when Rich Rod went to Michigan Mm. brought in the same kind of philosophies and they weren't they were recruiting well but the way they had to recruit didn't really lead to the kind of results that they were used to getting in Ann Arbor
0: um Braylon Allen probably has heard this in the recruiting pitch, and if not, uh, Braylon, I know you're a big fan of the show, so uh, just to remind you, each of the first three years that Phil Longo was the offensive coordinator at North Carolina, he had at least one and almost two 1,000-yard rushers. Michael Carter goes for 1,000 in 2019, Javante Williams, 933. Uh, In the 2020 season, both Michael Carter and Javante Williams both rushed for more than 1,000 yards, and of course both went off to the NFL, where they've become pretty decent contributors as well. Tennessee transfer Ty Chandler ran for a thousand yards in the 2021 season. Sam Howell uh, even added 829 on the ground. And one area where, admittedly, it was a uh, you know a lot more on Drake May. Drake May was the team's leading rusher this year, almost 700 yards. Uh, Elijah Green, Marion Hampton didn't quite have as much run game in there. But three out of the four years that Phil Longo was there with his you know air aid in name only. They were still running the ball pretty effectively and and looking to do so. So Braylon Allen, Wisconsin, we're still going to have an offense that is going to try to run that football uh, just clearly with a lot more passing concepts than I think we're used to. So I had, I like Phil Longo a lot. Um, I also didn't want to go all offense, but I'm not going to be able to get out here without talking about the impact that Garrett Riley's hire is going to have on the Clemson Tigers, Uh, both for Dabo breaking trend or at least recent trend, Dabo going throwback to like 2010, 2011 when he had to go outside and find one of the top minds in the game, did it with Chad Morris, did it with Brent Venables that led to national championships, but also Garrett Riley did a hell of a job with TCU this year. Now we're introducing Garrett Riley, not Brandon Streeter, as the one who is going to really uh, oversee Cade Klubnik's development. And You know, Cade started in the ACC championship game, won that, uh, started in the bowl game. They did not win, moved the ball well, just couldn't score uh, at all. But if in the Clemson Florida State ACC power struggle, the impact of uh, Garrett Riley coming in to take over as Clemson OC feels absolutely massive.
4: If you're a receiver for Clemson, you got to be really happy about this. Um, just the, the prior Clemson offensive coordinators uh, really struggled to have route combinations and concepts that, that sprung their guys open. And I, I just I think this is really good. When, when Dabo was at his best, it was Dabo's the CEO, rah-rah, recruiter guy, culture vibes, etc. And we're going to spend money as a program to bring in big time proven coordinators. Nothing that he's done in the last decade has made him a scheme guy all of a sudden or somebody that says, Hey, like we run a certain system here. Let's make sure to, to promote from within, you know, like continue to go out and get killers is the best way to do it. I think if you're Debo, and I think this is a good move, assuming that he lets Riley run what he wants to run. And if there need to be other changes on the office of staff, then those can happen. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the deal. Hey, come here, we pay you a, a huge truck of money. And you have to work with the existing offensive staff. But we had a question from the chat I thought was interesting, the, you know, the, the kind of comparing and contrasting what Clemson did with Riley as you know, after repeated failures of internal promotions uh, or doing what, what Tennessee's done. And I think the difference, like the questioner Volfan98, which may be a Jordan Burner, but if so, it's a good one. Uh <laughs> so he's working really hard. He is, man. Bringing in the
0: questions and answering the
4: questions. <laughs> you know, um, I think because, yes, that they – what are they, they're trying to call it the veer and shoot now, I guess, because they don't obviously they don't want to call it the Baylor Briles thing anymore uh, for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, if you like, you're not going to go out and get external guys to run that system. That that that's a very tight knit group that you basically only hire from within that tree. That's a big difference between that and what Clemson had. Mainly the difference in that one works and one doesn't.
0: Well. Yeah, there is. (laughs) There is that one. Uh, I wanted to also uh, get at least one defensive coordinator out here. Chris Hampton getting picked up by Oregon feels huge for me because Oregon's defense was leaky last season. And, you know, based on some of our early power ratings and projections, looks to be the weakness of Oregon heading into the 2023 season. As we've got Bo Nix back, Oregon trying to chase a Pac 12 championship, maybe even a college football playoff berth. I think that Chris Hampton, who did a you know great job with that two lane defense, that's that's gonna be one to uh, to keep an eye on because he's kind of in that uh, he he's in jeopardy of getting Grinched, aka being this like top defensive mind on the rise, but the players are the players. You know, there's only but so much you're going to be able to do from a schematic standpoint if Oregon is not uh, able to really improve on that defensive side of the ball from a personnel perspective. so i'm I've got my eyes on Hampton at Oregon because if he is able to work wonders here with the ducks, then that's the that's the missing piece to me into taking Oregon as a serious threat to be um, sniffing around a playoff spot in the middle of November. Versus one that we're going to be looking at to be a really good nine and three, ten and two team playing for a Pac-12 title on that first Friday night in December. So, I'm, I got my eyes on on Hampton and the Oregon Ducks defense as kind of a, a pivot point in that Pac-12 title race.
2: Yeah, he's inheriting a defense that struggled last year and is also losing its first round corner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, that's it's it's a big challenge. To uh to look through uh to look at out on on the field through those stylish frames that uh Chris Hampton has. Oregon's been Oregon's
3: in. interesting because they're you know they lose Dillingham, which he did a phenomenal job with Bo Nix. They bring in Will Stein from UTSA. That to me is because there were a bunch that I looked at and I was like, hmm, I don't know. Like I it, like feels like like I loved what he did at UTSA. Wow. Like Frank Harris was awesome. I loved that system, but. You just you just never know. Like that's one of those ones where I kind of put it in like the head coaching C plus category. Like not a strong. It's not like great podcasting. It's not a strong take. But it's one that I'm like, hmm. This would be interesting to see if this works. I think that Will
0: Stein will be good for Bo Nix and the Oregon offense. I
3: think so too.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's an offense that with Bo Nix at QB and some of the talent they have at the skill positions, it'll be fine. Like I, it worked. Like if you look at Illinois' metrics, their offense wasn't great this year. And last year they hired UTSA's offensive coordinator and Barry Lunny, but it was a big improvement on what they had been doing. And I think Illinois problem was at the receiver position. They didn't quite have enough, which I don't think will be as big of a factor at Oregon. I think the offense will probably be pretty good.
4: Yeah. And UTSA as well, we're really in the weeds here, but, they had tremendous offensive line injuries this year and mm-hmm. had to rotate guys, so much so that, like, when, when we had Bill on, he talked about the returning production and how much they lost. I, I agree with that being technically correct, but also I think the better guys that are coming back are the dudes who would have been starters had they been healthy. Like, and, UTSA had to roll with backups down the stretch. So much like they pulled Harris against Texas. If you guys go back to watch that game – not because he was playing poorly, but because he was getting his, his butt kicked, mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, we gotta we got a conference season to get ready for, guys. He's getting destroyed. Yeah, and UTSA the last couple of years has had a very good offensive line. Like I remember
2: when they came yeah. to Champaign a couple seasons ago and beat Illinois. My biggest takeaway watching that game was that OL is huge, and like not compared to what you typically see from other G5 programs, particularly conference USA schools.
0: Coming up on the other side, what about the, the sort of big picture here? Not just the individual hires, but also some schools and some staffs that lost a very valuable coach or maybe weren't able to replace him with somebody of the same caliber. Who are the teams that got better and who are the teams that got worse with this spin, of the assistant coaching carousel, that and more next Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Tom, what were some, well, w- in terms of like the upgrades and downgrades, who stood out from the, uh, from the assistant coaching carousel?
2: Uh, a couple I think got better. I'll go through some quickly. We already mentioned one. I think Clemson going from Brandon Streeter to and Riley, probably an improvement seeing as how this show had been harping on how Clemson had to do it for the last three years. We should probably give him credit for getting better by doing so. I think I, Tim Beck leaves to become the head coach at App State. NC State replaces him with Robert and I. I've been a Robert and I guy for a few years now from his time at Virginia and then moving to Syracuse last year. I think NC State's offense will be a lot more interesting next year than it has been the last few years. And uh, another one, I think, kind of under the radar. Oklahoma was bad in a lot of areas last year compared to what we typically see. From Oklahoma but one thing that stood out to me watching them was when you s- have seen all the guys that they have sent like first round picks from the receiver position watching Oklahoma last year it was like Marvin Mims and nobody else mm. like and they had talented guys and they weren't really developing them and showing that kind of you know production on the field so Oklahoma has replaced Ladamian Damian Washington with Emmett Jones who was the receivers coach at Texas Tech and if you watch Texas Tech like they don't have as much talent at the receiver position, but they had more productive receivers. I can't remember the kid's name, but he was a red shirt freshman last year. It's like a three star, high three star out of high school. He led the team in receiving. It was just they were getting the kind of production that I don't think Oklahoma should be getting from its receivers. So I think under the radar, that is a position coach move that I think will improve Oklahoma going into year two, and then one where I just. My gut feeling is they're going to get worse, and it's got nothing to do with the replacement. It's just I really liked what he was doing when he was in charge. Travis Williams, the defensive coordinator at UCF last year, leaving to become the defensive coordinator at Arkansas, I think that's going to hurt UCF. I know they promoted internally, so hopefully you know, if you're UCF, there won't be much of a drop-off there because he's kind of familiar. But I just think Travis Williams is really good and kind of like a rising star in the industry, so he might be hard to replace.
4: Sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say that's interesting because I, I actually had Arkansas as one of my staffs that I thought took a big hit. You know, this is, and this is, that's at least some positive in the the overall equation here. But I think that when you lose Kendall Bryles to TCU, replace him with Dan Enos, when you lose Barry Odom uh, to go be the head coach at UNLV, when you lose multiple position coaches, some of them just resigning to go take jobs at lesser programs, I, I thought that the Arkansas, Arkansas was out here having to scramble a little bit uh, more so than feeling like it was in, on the aggressive in the assistant coaching carousel. I had Arkansas as one of my staffs that I thought got worse in, uh, in this cycle.
4: There are definitely people at Auburn who I know who are like pretty powerful people who long think that Travis Williams eventually will be the head coach at Auburn. like not in a year or two, but like you know ten years down the line head coaching material t- type guy. Um, so I, I, I could definitely see that. I, Tom, if we can go back to your NC State one, I, I think I agree on on Robert and I. My only question here is that he really didn't start doing some of that stuff that he started to do at UVA until quarterback coach Jason Beck got there with him. And, mm-hmm. and J- Beck went with him to Syracuse and Anai went to NC State but Beck remained and is the OC now at Q. So I'm curious to see, like, what does Anai Sands Beck look like? For instance, I, I think it's definitely going to be an upgrade over Tim Beck, who I don't think was a very good offensive coordinator, to be honest. At who's least still,
0: not Coastal Carolina, by the way. Correct. And so I thought he made an
4: inspired hire, offensive coordinator wise. Like he, he got Travis Tricker, who I thought was working miracles on an annual or a weekly basis last week or last year at USF. But I, I'm just curious to how the Anai thing will work out without Jason Beck.
0: Will Brinson called the Uber for Tim Beck, to come and pick him up. <laughs> he was, he was out there ready to go. And, uh, and, and just uh, congratulations coach. This is just such a great opportunity for you that Robert and I comes in, but so does Brennan Armstrong. Like yeah. you've got the quarterback who was so productive at Virginia in that offense. And it's an interesting uh like I, I don't think that Ben Finley is going to be a part of the competition as much as M. J. Morris, but you've got you know M. J. Morris, who at times kind of flashed, I liked what he had, and then on the other end, you've got Brendan Armstrong, and you know I think that those are two very good options for an eye that pro- provides different um, you know different abilities and, and really allow him to open up the uh, the playbook. I think that NC State's offense got a lot better. Also, you mentioned that Syracuse, uh Jason Beck promoted internally. Uh eyes closed, does anybody know who the know who the new defensive coordinator is at Syracuse?
4: I know who they lost. Um who was the new one?
0: Oh, it was gosh. it was right out of the Dino Babers has been in college football for a billion oh, years. Oh. He went and hired Rocky Long. Yeah, oh, there oh there we go. right. Well, well
4: that that is scheme continuity though.
0: With mm-hmm. uh the like the lo-
4: losing Tony White. Because you're 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 still going to run some some of that that three know, three five three. yeah.
3: Does Syracuse play any options? You know where do you there? know where Rocky Long was? He, he was in exactly. New Mexico exactly. Yeah, I sat down with him. So two tie-ins here, which is perfect because I sat down with Rocky Long. He is salty, old school, yes. like <laughs> the oldest of old school college football coaches who doesn't give a damn about anything else except coaching football, uh, and he is like the godfather of the three three five. So I think that's an interesting interesting move for him. But they, that's the, actually when New Mexico and I was covering their defense wasn't bad. It, they were so bad on offense. It was atrocious. The other thing, Travis Williams, sat down with him too in person. And I don't know if it was the juxtaposition after Gus Malzon, who was maybe the worst production meeting I've had because he's just, yeah, no, yes, no. And then Travis Williams comes bouncing in the room and he's got all this energy. But I think I haven't told you guys after that game. I could not have been more impressed. And I would say rising star is exactly like the term I would use to describe him too. Like he has head coaching, like just it's in his future. You can see it. He's got like, he'll, he'll win the press conference. He'll be outstanding in recruiting. And and defensively, he was pretty impressive too. So I, I like that one. It's hard to say Arkansas got better because so much of the staff, you know, it's both coordinators you get pilfered. It's hard to say that. But I, I'll be rooting for Travis Williams, and I think he'll, I think he'll do okay.
2: Jordan, I want you to take a note for the weekend of sep- Saturday, September twenty third. Syracuse is playing Army. If mm. if Rocky Long is defensive coordinator, we are locking up Syracuse.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> he, he will he shut go. down some option. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, so, uh, I, go ahead. I, I I'm kind of getting a little bit of must champion vibes out of Starkville so obviously you had the you know tragic passing of, of Mike Leach and they they elevate Zach Arnett who I really like as a defensive coordinator into the head coaching role and offensively I wonder how much Zach Arnett hated working for Mike Leach because you could not have found a different like a more different offensive style right they go out and they get uh, Kevin Barbe who was at App State and prior to that, he was with those like Lou Nichols Central Michigan teams, and they just want to run the ball—not every down, but but damn near compared to what you had in Starkville. And I'm curious, like in in the Sun Belt, App has better personnel than most teams. Central Michigan had better personnel than most teams in the MAC, especially when when he was there. Can you play bully ball at Mississippi State? I'm I'm not sure that that. That's going to work. Like The last time we kind of tried to see that, Sylvester Croom's tenure there did not go very well. And in the interim, Mississippi State has had offensive genius Dan Mullen, offensive genius Mike Leach, and a guy, the the, the the Joe Moorhead, who we think pretty highly of offensive coordinator-wise and offensive coaching-wise. I'm interested to see what Kevin Barbe does. I hope I'm wrong about this, but it just seems like defensive coordinator, we're going we're gonna, to you know, run the ball like crazy Vibes there right now, based on on this hire. And I'm I'm skeptical. So this
0: uh this brings up a, a question that I had earlier in the chat. Uh, Kyle asks, and by the way, if you are watching us live, and there are a lot of you watching live, go ahead and just go hit, smash that like for us, please. Just just go ahead and run it up. Right, I I might be able to go into the closet. I might be able to find some P plus gift codes. Who knows. But let's just find out. Let's mess around and find out. Run the likes up. Uh, Kyle asked, was there a single good offensive coordinator hire in the SEC?
3: Petrino, I think that's a good hire. I mean, I, like I, if it like, it's hard to say, like, because we said it was going to be either home run or, you know, bust, but I like the hire. I, I don't if, think if it's if it's as advertised, if Jimbo's saying, here you go, I think it'll be a good hire.
0: I've come around on my gut reaction to Mike Bobo. I don't think it's a bad hire. I think it. I don't think it's an exceptional hire, but I don't think it's a bad hire.
2: I don't hate the Kirby Moore hire at Mizzou. Mm. Came from Fresno. I think that you know yeah. that that was a pretty productive offense. I think that could prove. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Like with Eli, what how much the, what the play calling situation will be. But I think this Kirby Moore, if you're bringing him to do the run the offense he was running at Fresno, I think that's going to be pretty effective for the Tigers.
0: But do you have any that you
4: like in the SEC? Yeah. Um, well, I, I let off with Liam Cohen. So like there's Oh Yeah, there's Liam, oh, So
0: yeah, there's a lot of good offense. I felt like this question was tinged with a lot of like, oh, offensive coordinator hires in the SEC were terrible. We we also, also hit
4: the Mike Bobo thing like two episodes ago. So if you want our thoughts on that, just go to the one that, I mean, I think it might have been the thumbnail for that day. So I don't know if we need to rehash the Mike Bobo stuff. Um, I think Tommy Reese the top is of the world. He's got, he can get his, you know, he can kind of pick his, his OC.
0: Ooh, we haven't even talked we, we got a 48, 49 minutes. And we haven't even mentioned that the Alabama Crimson Tide have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. Now we did extend our conversations about those searches for weeks, which is probably why it's not top of mind because we'd spent so much time being top of mind. Did Alabama get better, worse, or neutral with its coordinator changes? Tommy Reese in as the new offensive coordinator, Kevin Steele in as the new defensive coordinator.
3: God, it's funny because they're total opposites. Yeah. Slight upgrade. You know, young, I think. All, you know, young, new, and old, you know, experienced.
2: Yeah, like I I think Kevin Steele is not never going to be an exciting hire simply because he's been around the SEC for like a hundred years. But I think he's been around the SEC for that long for a reason. The man has good defenses and he's gonna have obviously the talent to, you know, implement them with. The Reese hire, I've always been kind of, you know. On the same place with Reese. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't think he's a brilliant offensive coordinator. I don't think he makes dumb mistakes. I think last year he was very limited in his options, and it showed in what Notre Dame did. He will not be nearly as limited with his options at Alabama as he was with the Irish last year. Is it an upgrade? I don't know. I think that it is an upgrade off the field for sure. I think Tommy Reese will be a more valuable recruiter to Alabama mm-hmm. than Bill O'Brien probably was, but – We'll see game planning wise. I mean, I, I think Sark to Bill O'Brien was a downgrade. I think Bill O'Brien to Reese is probably a slight upgrade, but I can't factor start. in the recruiting. and almost certainly is. Yes. But as far as play calling on game day, I don't know how drastic a difference there will be.
4: When you steal a big downgrade from Golden, I don't know. Like, is Steel really the guy Saban wanted to hire? I highly doubt that. But, um, I don't know. Like,
3: you have so much talent. I mean, they're not, it's not yeah. like they're going to drop off a cliff.
0: That's Danny, the dynasty is done, Canal. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: I don't think they're going to run the table next year. Right, 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 right. right, right. <laughs> and I think the bigger issue than Tommy Reese, Reese is who the heck's playing quarterback for him. And True, that to exactly. me is the more significant question. Like, again, he's going to have a lot of talent he's working with, but he's got to figure out the quarterback. And they've had a really nice run of QBs. And I just, I look at that as being a significant challenge of replacing what they've lost, especially considering Bryce Young, how many games he won for them and kept close for them when it was bad everywhere else.
0: Um, and this is, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about Miami, another place where we had offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator changed over. Brandon in the chat asks, to as a follow-up to the Bama question, did Miami upgrade despite the loss of both OC and DC. Again, Shannon Dawson's the new offensive coordinator. Lance Gidry is the new defensive coordinator. Uh, Where It's tough because the team wasn't good last year. It was Mario's first year and the team wasn't good. So it feels as though anything that is changing the course of the ship should be improvement. But I can't say for sure that the, the, these changes alone are going to lead to improvement. I
2: like Lance Gidry. Shannon Dawson, will that be an improvement? I don't know, but I like Lance Okay. Hey,
4: I have a suspicion that Lance Guidry is probably a really good coach because I know some other schools that kicked the tires on him a couple of years ago, and I think he probably would have been a much higher like coach in his career had he not had three DUIs. right? Now, the last one was more than a decade ago, but like – you know, think about like Oakland A's here, finding inefficiencies in the market type thing. Miami may have done that. Um, I don't know if Shannon Dawson is a major upgrade from Gattis. He might be. I don't know if any offense coordinators truly allowed to operate and do what they want to do under Mario Cristobal. So it's very hard for me to evaluate that. Like, I, I, I know what they're probably going to do. Run the ball a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and try, try to try to play bully ball. And it may work because they're recruiting their ass off an offensive line. I, I do think though, overall, like those are just the coordinators, those
2: are the most important hires, I think, you know, as far as game day goes, but that's a lot of turnover on a staff after one year. That is concerning to me because it's not just the coordinators that they lost. It's like what five or six coaches that Miami has changed over after the first
3: season that's and one that said, "See you later because I didn't get the the job I wanted, and Charlie mm-hmm. Strong.
4: yeah, it's mm-hmm. just it's kind of like a I don't know Frank Pott's going back to app.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank Ponce goes back to app. Uh, Josh Gattis was fired. Kevin Steele went to take the Alabama job. Charlie Strong resigned. And Kevin Smith, the running backs coach, went to Ole Miss, which was be another the running backs oh, coach. One more
4: last night. Uh, Rod Wright, their defensive ends coach, is joining the Houston Texans. Yeah, so it's like Kevin Smith, like I just said, he's was the running backs
2: coach, and he's going to Ole Miss to be the running backs coach, which when you see lateral moves like that,
0: so I had uh, Ole Miss had a lot of turnover. That one was one that I think flew below the radar for me outside of Pete Golding. You know, look, Pete Golding's out at Alabama. He's going to go be the new D.C. at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, they've got uh, turnover on the offensive line coach where Jake Thornton went to Auburn. Uh, Sam Carter, the cornerbacks coach, going to go be at uh, the cornerbacks coach for Purdue. Chris Partridge, uh, co-defensive coordinator, was fired. Maurice Crum, linebackers coach, was fired. Now, the defense was not great uh, down the stretch. That was one thing that Bud called out early. He said, this Ole Miss defense is not as good as some of these yardage and point total and metrics and stats are initially pointing out. Um, Lane Kiffin's got very much a reshaped staff brand new contract and a a reshaped staff right now is Ole Miss better worse neutral what do we make of this uh, this new makeup that Lane Scott
2: I mean Alabama fans will not tell you that they've upgraded a defensive coordinator whether that's true or not I don't know uh you know i i look at the overall defensive hall and golding i know from alabama another coach on there that i coached at illinois for a few years under levy smith and i thought was a good coach and helps recruit you know illinois is going to be sending some defensive backs they had to the nfl last year they might have a first round pick this year in devin witherspoon Kenodo hudson was the coach for illinois at the time when a lot of those kids were recruited yeah so he's got very recruiting connections in florida he's Got a lot of connections there. He will help Ole Miss in that area. But at the same time, maybe this is maybe this is Lane's way of saying actually maybe we do need to recruit some high schoolers. We can't just recruit through the portal, but I think he's a good cornerback's coach. So I think that's a good move that's not going to
4: get a ton of you know attention nationally. I think they've probably upgraded overall. I mean, look it's unlikely that Golding's a really bad coach. I, I think Bama just had a high school class that they kind of whiffed on somewhat, to be honest. Um, you know, kind of around the time when all all the change was happening, it's not surprising that eventually your high school recruiting would slip a little bit. Offensively, it's still Lane's offense, so mostly fine there. I don't know that you know Partridge and Crum were like studs. It it, where where did I mean Partridge got picked up at Michigan? I assume for his recruiting in New Jersey. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: Yeah, Um, I don't know where Crum ended up. uh, So. Blackwell went to Texas A&M. Okay. Hudson's a good recruiter. I, I think it's probably a net even or positive. It's it, I don't see some huge drop-off there.
0: Um, what other, uh, in, in the couple of minutes we got left right here, what other sort of hires or schools, or as we were trying to prepare for this podcast, what really stood out that we haven't gotten a chance to hit?
4: I, I um, think Tashard Choice, by the way. The, uh, the offensive assistant at Texas, I think that's a huge get Recruiting wise, that that dude really connects with with kids. Um, Five star running back this morning just got crystal balled to Texas by Steve Wiltong. That's that's a choice choice hit right there. Um, I, I think that's that's a pretty big one. Uh, also, keeping Brian Hartline in the fold is mm. pretty important for Ohio mm-hmm. State. I believe he had options.
2: Yeah, um, I don't have too much to add, other than we we mentioned Reese going to Alabama, but we spent a lot of time talking about this on the show the last few weeks, so we didn't need. It. But Notre Dame, like we know, the fiasco with Andy Ludwig, they end up with, you know promoting Gerard Parker from within. Will that be a blessing in disguise, or will they regret not paying up for Ludwig?
0: I've got a big shrug right now, not because I am indifferent, but because I simply don't have a, a way to be able to pinpoint whether Austin Armstrong, the former line inside linebackers coach at Alabama, who is now the defensive coordinator for Florida, what that does in terms of the expectations, um, you know, Patrick Tony, the defensive co-defensive coordinator uh, left Florida to go be a defensive assistant with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh carry Colbert left from being wide receivers coach at Florida to being the receivers coach for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Your tight ends coach also goes off to the NFL. I'm not quite sure what it looks like for Billy Napier's staff in terms of my expectations, but certainly very significant uh, for a a Gator staff that is heading into a big two- to three-year run uh, in terms of trying to put some results on the field.
4: What does it say about Alabama and Saban and Armstrong that Saban did not give him the D.C. title there at Alabama, and then Florida's like... We'll take that as soon as Patrick Tony went off to the NFL. I, I don't know. I mean, is is Nick sitting in his office today regretting that, or is Nick thinking how much more time do I really have? I don't have time to gamble. At least I know Kevin Steele is a at least a, a B as a coach, right? And, and and has done this thing before, and we, we we can run this thing out together. I, I don't know. Uh, but it he did a nice job at, at with the Golden Eagles last year, mm-hmm. so I'm. Somewhat bullish on that hire, I guess. Their defense just has to be a lot better this year because I really don't think the offense can take a step forward. It's personnel-wise, they lost a lot. I'm sorry, Florida. You
0: really could use a Will Muschamp team right now. The state <laughs> of the offense—that's that's where things are looking um, right now. A couple uh, just sort of one-off ones that stood out during my research. Uh, Tom Manning out as iowa state's offensive coordinator leading to the promotion of who tom nathan shielhouse boy we're catching a lot of guys that we have covered who are moving up in the coaching ranks
2: best Um, line iqb for a long time
0: nathan shielhouse promoted to offensive coordinator and look matt campbell obviously is always going to be associated as the being a a offensive coach but um that you're moving on from something that had kind of been in place for a while curious to see if that's going to lead to any changes within the uh, the Iowa State offense Penn State got Marcus Hagans as its new wide receivers coach i think that's a very positive um, for James Franklin's staff heading into a really really big season did T- this on the note, literally did TCU successfully replace Garrett Riley with Kendall Bryles?
2: yeah I yes. mean, I, I felt like we, we mentioned Garrett Riley going to Clemson as being a huge move, and you would think, well, that's got to be a huge blow to TCU. But I, I, I think that that's very – if you're going to lose Riley, filling him with Bryles is a pretty good option to go to.
0: Also had as a winner of the assistant coaching carousel, the Utah Utes.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Kept Andy Ludwig. That's a good thing.
4: Bye-bye, baby. How are we feeling about, about another Chip, Chip Lindsay? Chip Lindsey.
0: Ooh, not great. Would, like, I think that it is incredibly fortunate for the beginning of Chip Lindsey's tenure that he's got Drake May as his quarterback, and it's incredibly unfortunate for the beginning of Chip Lindsey's tenure that he's got Drake May as his quarterback. Hey. And while I say that to say that if things don't look good, he is immediately going to be the name that is mentioned more frequently than any other around North Carolina football, but because it's Drake May, the odds are actually stacked such that the results will look good.
4: Can I disagree on that as far as him being the name that's mentioned most often if things don't look good? Oh, you think it's I, Matt Brown? I think it's Mac Brown. Mm. I mean, like, how, how old is Mac? Are we really going to let him rebuild again, like yet another coaching staff, if, if things don't look good with Drake May this year? Hey, we already Let's got see.
0: The, the next in state quarterback. You know that. Was it Tad Hudson? Tad Hudson, a lacrosse name, if I've ever heard one, out here to be the next in state quarterback.
2: <laughs> I, I'm just planting my flag now. If Drake May has a drop off this year, I am 100% blaming Chip Lindsey for all of it.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, what do you think? You asked me, bud.
4: I'm skeptical. Uh, the, the way it ended at Troy was, uh, was not good. And um, it's hard to judge what went down this year right but i'm i'm skeptical for sure we'll see he's he's, he's gonna be let let out of the nest I've, I've always
0: had a difficult time judging gus malzahn's offensive coordinators and much of my significant experience with chip Lindsay as an offensive coordinator has been under gus malzahn at both auburn and ucf so we'll see it's uh it's, it's gonna be very interesting to watch, but he does have one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. So that's uh that's one thing that, that is working in his favor.
4: Um I think Arizona State upgraded pretty significantly, by the way. Just in terms of they will be better at both coordinator spots, I believe. And head coach. Well, yeah, I mean, it helps if your head coach isn't just throwing your assistants under the bus, right? So, right. I was, culture I was, wise, they should be a lot better.
0: Yeah. There were there were some where, you know, when you had a situation like Arizona State and it's just entirely, you know, rebooting everything, then it it felt like a little less of the assistant ca- coaching carousel and more of just, you know, hey, guess what? I think Colorado made a good offensive coordinator hire. Yeah.
4: Oh, huge. <laughs> they, they went from from like my worst-rated offensive coordinator in the country to something a lot better, I think, in Sean Lewis.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I think that there's, there's some situations like that where there was nowhere to go, but up and, uh, in Colorado and Arizona state, probably both fall into that scenario. Any other, uh, any other updates or, um, names or schools that, uh, that stood out from the, the Koji carousel?
2: Uh, I can go Homer if you want.
0: Yeah. i hunt. Yes.
4: Yeah. Hold it up.
2: For- Purdue, Purdue's getting a great head coach in Ryan Walters and he's bringing a couple very good coaches with him from Illinois and Kevin Kane and Corey Patterson, who I'm sad to see go, but I do think Brett Bielema did a very good job replacing them. Aaron Henry stepping up to be the defensive coordinator, Terrence Jamison, defensive line coach also being promoted to co DC. Antonio Fenellis coming in from LSU as an analyst, another guy who used to play for Brett. Uh, Charlie Bullen, outside linebackers coming from the Arizona Cardinals thad ward who coached at illinois under lovey smith and was an excellent recruiter but you remember at the end of the lovey smith tenure one of the problems with lovey smith was that they weren't recruiting in state there's a reason thad ward left because he wasn't getting the support he needed so i'm happy he's back in champagne because he's an excellent coach and excellent recruiter and i think that you know just going off of brett bielema's track record of replacing coaches because he does send a lot of his coaches to promoted to other jobs who leave and he does an excellent job replacing them i think illinois did a pretty good job considering all they lost
0: hey there's there's some buzz in the chat about being a threat in the west in 2023 Ooh, illinois okay. is a
2: threat in the big 10 every year from now on period
0: put it down tom for uh This has been very, very fun. Make sure uh, if you're watching this back later, you can still go and high five, smash that like. Uh, If you were listening to this, head on over to youtube.com slash cover three and go ahead and subscribe. Even if you are like, and I'm with you, you know, I like to listen to some podcasts while I'm doing things with my hands, walking around, going on a walk, whatever, but just just do us a favor. Head on over to youtube.com slash cover three. Give us a subscribe and hit that like button. We will be back Wednesday. 11 a.m. Eastern time. So make sure you come and join us for that. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Brunelli. You can follow him at Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank
2: you.
4: See yeah. ya.